And so we know that America's church decline has been an ongoing trend for quite some time, right? One of the big things in Old Testament in particular is genre, the type of writing, the type of narrating history, the type of uh, self-understanding as a society in that time by the other people groups is very much uh, in the genre of something that, that we call mythology. So how do you explain that so you aren't such a heretic? All right, so you've heard of Bob the Builder. Yeah. Dude. Have you heard of Bob the Deconstructor? <laughs> Bob the Unbuilder? Yeah, the, the man who unbuilds the building. So <laughs> who's Bob the Unbuilder? <laughs> he is a he is a probably a member of this group of Americans uh, who are continually saying and identifying that the Americans' members uh, membership in houses of worship continues to decline over the years. And well, this last year, it fell below 50% for the first time in Gallup's eight-decade trend. And so what we're going to talk about today is the idea of deconstructionism uh, and this ever-growing popularity we're finding it. Uh, so welcome to Kingdom Thinking. I'm Josh. And with us, as always, is Hansel. And so as we talk about deconstruction today, there's kind of a, an amorphous definition that gets associated with it. So we're mm -hmm. going to try and nail down All right. some specific stuff here. But before we jump in, uh, some numbers to be aware of okay. that help frame our discussion well. So in 2020, 47% of Americans said they belong to a church, synagogue, or mosque. So this isn't just Christians, right? This is like just religious folks in general in the big three. Okay. Uh, down from 50% in 2018 and 70% in 1999. Okay. So something That's significant between... 1999 and 2020 has completely revolutionized in people's brains about the lack of a need to go to church, right? People are pulling out or a mosque or a synagogue. People are kind of decoupling mm -hmm. themselves from religion. People mm -hmm. are deconstructing their viewpoints, right? People are finding mm. that the current reality in which they live doesn't really fit, right? And so we know that America's church decline has been an ongoing trend for quite some time, right? Uh, there are many reasons for this. If you ask pretty much any millennial or Gen Z individual, right, they're going to have some reason for why they left the church and they no longer go, right? If you're mm -hmm. watching this, chances are you know a handful of people who have stopped going to church, or you yourself have actually stopped going to the churches that, or the houses of worship that you grew up in, mm -hmm. and maybe you're looking for something new, but most likely you're just kind of floating, right? Okay. And so uh, what I think is interesting about this, though, is uh, I'm pretty active on social media, and what I have noticed is that there have been these huge Instagram pages that have popped up around deconstruction mm -hmm. of one's faith, right? So you have like the new evangelicals, right. ex-evangelicals, yes, dirty, rotten church kids. Like these are three really big yeah. popular Instagram accounts uh, that have a lot to say. That are associated with this. Yeah, around this conversation of deconstructionism. Okay. All right, let's jump in. Let's talk a little bit yeah. about it. So uh, deconstruction as a term, right, uh, just to kind of give us some a loose playing field here. Yeah. It's understood as either questionings, uh, questioning one's faith and assumptions in which one was brought up. Okay. Right? And then this either leads to a rebuilding of the, so a deconstruction, so like a tearing down and an, a steep and sincere investigation into your faith. Why do I believe in Jesus? Why do I believe in hell? Why is the church's position on LGBT stuff it is, yeah. or the way it is? What are yeah. the political reasons? Why are so many white Republicans? Republicans, evangelicals, and or I'm sorry, so many white Christians, evangelicals, and so many black Christians, Democrats, right? Like right. looking into all of these huge contemporary issues. And then you either find yourself rebuilding to a faith, right? Taking bits and pieces of what you, you know, grew up with and then kind of like reinstalling new pieces or things that you identify as more true or, tr you know, true and correct. Uh, 
And so that leads to what's like a less fundamentalist faith or an even progressive one. Okay. Or you just totally deconstruct and are no longer a religious individual, right? You're kind of a nun or a done, right? You're just done with religion in general. Done or done. Yeah. And so so what do you think about all of this so far? Is this familiar with yeah, your world? Yeah, this is interesting. So I had not heard of deconstruction. Okay. Deconstructionism before as a semi-formal yeah. movement, right? right? Um, however, I think the experience or the disposition to challenge faith, uh, maybe question a little bit of fundamental beliefs, um, or try to analyze and dig deeper into, wait, why do religious authorities have these positions, mm -hmm. doctrinal statements, catechisms, etc.? I don't think that's new. Right, right. So what strikes me immediately as somebody who's new to this conversation is, huh, this seems to be kind of like a repackaging or maybe a new flavor mm -hmm. of something that isn't actually new. It's in, our in digital society. version of the 99 theses on the wall, right? Uh, I would say this would be our digital version of like the Enlightenment. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Fine, fine. <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, uh, the the idea of questioning authority and saying, now hold on, uh, why do you get a monopoly right. on what is true Correct. and real and good? Seems to happen every 500 years or so, right? <laughs> Something like that. But there are some nuances and I think some unique time stamps or markers mm -hmm. that I think are worth discussing yeah, certainly. Uh, about this movement. Yeah, so today we're going to just look at a few ideas around deconstruction, around what we see uh, and know to be like some popular topics in this. Yeah. And and here's what here's what I want to do, here's what I hope to accomplish, and here's what I hope to stay away from, right? So what I hope to accomplish is that we can contribute some meaningful dialogue about the value of questioning faith, right? Okay. So I work with young people for a living. I have been for over the last 10 years. And one of the biggest things that I experience with people who have graduated from our youth group and continue to maintain some type of faith conviction into you know their elder years— 20s, uh, is this idea of saying like, hey, we created a safe space here where I could doubt my faith, mm. where I could ask hard questions, mm -hmm. where I could experience things that were uncomfortable, and nobody made me feel dumb or like a not Christian or I didn't love Jesus. Correct. Right? So I want to do that in a digital version here. So if you're somebody who's watching and you're walking through issues or you're struggling with some things that you feel like you want to deconstruct, that's okay, right? I think people need to know that, and you know, I don't know what my permission is worth to you, right? Like as a random person watching this or whatever, but it's like somebody needs to affirm that, right? Because if more churches openly and actively affirmed it, I think we wouldn't be losing people hmm. as much as we are, right? To go from 70% down to 47% in 20 years is insane, right? Like that's a massive, massive shift in such a short amount of time. Hmm. So I hope we can contribute some positive dialogue to the discussion. Yeah. What I want to avoid is specifically telling people how they should deconstruct. This is one thing that I've noticed from like some conservative evangelicals as they've contributed and jumped into this conversation. Like there's whole books being written on like proper deconstruction techniques. And I think there's value in discussing potential guidelines wow. in these things, but it feels like we're just trying to like regain a monopoly on truth, but right. in a deconstructing way, right? In some of these things. And so I just want to be careful that we don't fall into that trap yeah. right, and make that same mistake. Uh, so for our kind of guidance today. I wanted to use Keith Giles, uh, who's okay. a former pastor, prolific author. He's done some great stuff. Uh, he's written a lot of stuff. Uh, and he has these uh, six kind of pillars around deconstruction. So you can think of these pillars as basically just like 
topical pieces that people okay. often chat that through. seem to be like common denominators yeah, yeah for what people are questioning of these things all right good so the first What's pillar the first one? of uh, christian deconstruction he lists is the bible okay no surprises there right and this is probably the best place to begin right because we need to start with what is yeah. particularly in evangelicalism correct right like where the, the bible is so most, central yeah as opposed to like tradition or yep. liturgy or whatever yeah exactly and so uh and this is hard because Oftentimes what gets pegged into this is the conversation around science, right? And whether or not like the Bible is meant to be a science textbook or things in this kind of world, or Mm. how do you reconcile what we know about science with what we see in the scriptures? And so as somebody Mm. who is an Old Testament professor, who literally does that for a living there, what would you say to somebody who's having questions around deconstruction with this conversation, particularly like the Bible Bible and science, the Old Testament and science, let's say. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting question. So the first thing I would say is that I think it's a good thing, and I'm, I guess I'm just reiterating what you're saying, uh-huh, uh-huh. to ask these questions. So I don't think we should be shy. I don't think we should be scared. I don't think we need to defend God. Yeah. Um, if God is real and true, then that will be fleshed out yep. in what we discover, right? So uh, I think there's there's a real confidence that people can have that, asking questions is actually encouraged in the Bible itself, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think Peter's going to say, hey, when people ask you, make sure that you can give them a reason yeah. for the hope that is in you. Yeah. And uh, Jude, is it Jude, right, is going to say, contend for the faith. Uh-huh. Uh, so these things are, aren't new. Right. They're in, and not only are they not new, they're encouraged. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge starting point. Yeah. Now, one of the big things in Old Testament in particular is genre. Yeah. And it's very important to understand that the writings of the Old Testament were composed in a specific mythological context where the people of Israel who are editing and putting these documents together are part of a larger social context where um, the type of writing, the type of narrating history, the type of Uh, self-understanding as a society in that time by the other people groups is very much uh, in the genre of something that that we call mythology. Mm -hmm. Now, so how do you explain that? So you aren't such a heretic. What is myth? How do you explain myth? Because typically we tend to associate myth with untrue. Correct. So so when I say myth or mythology, you can think of like, oh, you're talking about made up things Mm -hmm. um, or stories. That's not necessarily what mythology means. Mm -hmm. Mythology in the ancient world is the way through which people explain the way the world is. Certainly, certainly. It's it's kind of like, how do we narrate the significance of of civilizations? Mm -hmm. We write history books. That's that's kind of unique. That's pretty recent. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So there's a very important timestamp with that, particularly in Genesis with the creation account and with the way that the creation account is going to move along, it is actually not designed to bear out scientific facts, answering the questions of when was the world made mm-hmm. out of what materials should we be carbon dating things? Yeah. <laughs> Though, like those are good questions. Right. If you want to ask them, that's fine. I'm just saying as, as somebody who's uh, studied a little bit o- old Testament, the the genre of literature in the Old Testament, in, in Genesis in particular, is not interested in those questions. So to simplify, is it okay to say the example of like 
it's like you're asking an orange why it isn't a banana. Exactly. There. Okay. That's exactly right. So when we look at creation, we're rather looking at the story of why mm-hmm. did the the Jewish God, the Israelite God, Yahweh, why did he create yeah. for what purpose? And that story is going to be uh, unfolded and fleshed out for the rest of scripture, right? right? Right. So these are good questions. They're just not necessarily intersecting as much as we'd like them to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... This gets tricky, right? Because with things like evolution, with things like old earth, um, there's going to be a lot of questions about scientific method and what is the threshold for evidence so that we deposit trust in that. And then how do we reconcile that? Which Uh is probably a little beyond the scope of this conversation. Yeah, for sure. But all that to say is with questions about the Bible in particular, I think that something like, is it historically true, right? Did these things actually happen can we trust the documents? Like, those are fine. We yeah. should be asking those. And I think there's good reason to think that it is true yep. and that these things did happen um, to a adequate and significant level. However, I also want to emphasize the point that depositing trust in Scripture is never a result of only scientific inquiry. Right. Right, right. Because that would be to actually deposit faith in science, not in scripture. Yep. And you should do both, right? But again, they're answering different questions. Yeah. Good. Good, good, good. So, okay, we'll move, we'll keep moving through these here. The second pillar uh, that he brings up is uh, the eternal torment of hell. Yeah. Right. And so this is big because once you begin to kind of doubt scripture or have some questions about even inerrancy or infallibility Correct. or the Genesis account, you know, those types of things, it's a pretty short walk, he says, to questioning the validity of eternal torment, right? Correct. Because as human beings, we have to say like 80 years of, you know, temporal crimes doesn't seem to merit an eternality of burning alive and feeling every second of Forever. it, right? Uh, and being conscious of that through the whole time. That doesn't sound like just or loving. And, yeah. and oftentimes the combative response is like, well, who are you to make the rules? And it's like, you know, I'm not trying to make the rules. I'm just right. saying as an observer, that feels a little bit much, hmm. even by my standards, right? Or yeah. even by, you know, cosmic standards. Yeah. And so the question becomes, you know, what do you think as somebody uh, who has studied, you know, kind of in this realm, what is the value of this notion of hell? Or is this a compatible thing? Or do you have to buy this whole hog? Or are there ways to kind of reconcile these things Yeah, for that's you? a good question. So I, from an experience perspective or from a kind of like mental or how we experience mm-hmm right and wrong. This totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. The idea of hell is is really, like if you take it seriously, that people who do not deposit their faith in Christ will consciously, eternally be in suffering for it. If you really take that seriously, that's tough. Yeah, That's really hard. So I get that. I don't think it's silly to question that. Be like, wait a minute, God who is good and compassionate and knows everything mm-hmm. and he can prevent this, but he's not going to? Yeah. I get that. Yep. I totally get that. Now, funny enough, Christians have actually tried or developed ways to kind of work around this a sure, little bit. certainly. So I can think of like Seventh-day Adventist, um, this denomination, they believe in something called annihilationism. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be where I would find myself as well. Really? Yeah. Okay. So the conviction of annihilationism is essentially saying that for those people who are not uh, depositing their faith in Christ, who are not saved. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not necessarily going to be in eternal torment forever. Rather, they're going to kind of like cease to exist. Yeah. yeah, God hands them over to the desires of their heart, judges them, removes his protection and blessing from them, 
and they cease to they cease to be right, right? um so that's one option uh, i personally don't find that compelling mm-hmm. um because Wrong. of uh <laughs> scripture passages in whether that's in like first corinthians talking about uh god's judgment and mm-hmm. how he's gonna um, or in Revelation, or even like the Gospels mm-hmm. With, mm-hmm. with Jesus, seem to suggest um, an eternality mm-hmm. to that. So, I mean, you could go back and forth like with the sure. exegesis of it, right? Yeah, and we've actually done a whole video on this over at Overtime that people can actually watch if they right. want to dig deeper into the annihilationism position Pers- and yeah, see, correct. see if they correct. find it convincing. Um, there's a book by Rob Bell yep. called Love wins. Love wins. Uh huh. Where he actually proposes, um, kind of sort. And I don't want to misrepresent him, but if I understand correctly, it's kind of like a universalistic approach. I mean, kind of like a heavy inclusivism, okay. right? And so, uh, yeah, that would be getting where people will have a chance to yeah. escape hell, something like that, yeah. right? So, it it, it kind of uh, moves beyond and says, well, there you're gonna have a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And so I guess the, the, the question with that would be, well, um, w- how far is too late? Sure. Right? Sure. Um, so all, all things that move beyond where we're going, right, for, for this one. But suffice it to say that there is a value in yes. being able to question this openly and know that you can make a biblical argument there because I, I think it's important when we have these conversations to try and stay as anchored in the scriptures as much as yeah, possible yeah, yeah, because yeah. there's value in bringing that forth with us even in our deconstructionism, right? That would be my idea. Correct. Uh, okay, so moving quickly, uh, the third pillar, deconstruction, uh, Giles talks about is uh, penal substitutionary atonement, right? Okay. So he writes, this is a theory that's relatively new uh, and was only arrived at after several centuries of Christian thought and debate on the topic. Uh, Penal substitutionary atonement, or PSA, would never have been formulated if it wasn't for those previous theories of atonement. Uh, Simply put, PSA theory says that God's wrath was so great against humankind sinfulness that Jesus has had to come and take the bullet for us, receiving the full fury of God's burning wrath on the cross so that now God can love and forgive us, right? And one of the biggest critiques of this is uh, cosmic child abuse, right? This kind of gets put, put in there. So what, just briefly, what are some thoughts that you have on the validity of PSA? <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So with different atonement theories or uh, for our viewers, different ways of understanding the sacrifice of Christ, uh-huh. right? Um, I can think of three main atonement theories. One would be Christus Victor, uh-huh. which just means it's a fancy way of saying that Christ's sacrifice is a way of conquering yeah. death and, right. and evil so that um, his death is supposed to be like a cosmic or a world reordering right. where it's not uh, the spiritual powers that reign now, but he is reordering, he is regaining uh, authority, supremacy, reordering the world. Kind of like passage yep. in Colossians, yep. everything is now submitted under Christ. So that's one theory. Um, so penal substitution atonement is the specific way of understanding it where he's dying in substitution, yeah. in place of, uh-huh. vicariously, right? Um, I So I get the the ethical, like, wait a minute. Um, Again, not a crazy it, question to ask. So the, the question being asked here is, is it right mm-hmm. for God to actually punish the righteous son who didn't do anything? Right. Um, it, it's, it, it sounds convoluted to say that, hey, we have really good news. God tortured his his own son who didn't do anything wrong yeah and sent instead him to of death, you <laughs> instead of you like it sounds weird right yeah, yeah um i i think i actually think pe- so i get it 
questioning that. Um, I think that the takeaway, the value of that is um, that penal substitution atonement actually makes, to me, it's really, really important. I definitely agree with it. Okay. I think, I don't only think it's a, oh, this is just kind of a new uh, modernistic way of reading right. the New Testament started right. by you know Luther or whatever. Right. No, I think it makes sense of the narrative of, of Scripture where the the idea, the concept of sacrifice. Well, yeah, you can uh, certainly read this in Paul. Right. Absolutely. Um, it seems to be not only consistent, but it actually makes sense of the whole narrative mm-hmm. where it it was always the other mm-hmm. who's the provision for. Mm-hmm. And Particularly so, in a world of animal sacrifice in the first century. Exactly. Like it, makes, exactly. it fits and the so context Are the well. ethics weird? And like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of odd to think about. Uh, however, um, the the sending and the giving. So the father sends the son. The son sends the spirit. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, not only does this help us make sense of like something like the Trinity or salvation as a whole, but I think it. Anselm uh, talks about the honor of God. Yep. Good. Um, so all these ideas, I think, are enough to say like, yeah, I guess it, it could be weird, but it's super significant. Good. 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 All yeah. right. So the fourth pillar, uh, suffering in the world. And this is, this is one that's going to be super hard to answer. So we'll just kind of be honest about this one. There's no good or satisfactory answer for this one in my mind. Okay. Right. Like theodicy is not something that Christians can explain well. Uh, I don't think there's a I'm way that we have. I'm not as pessimistic as you, but yeah, I, I just you. don't think we have a good answer for this one. And this to me has had something that I've through my own wrestling and I've made videos on this for overtime again, right? Like we've talked about this. This is something that I've had to genuinely chalk up to faith and not fully understanding. And the biggest takeaway I can have from it is saying like, God is asking me to step in the gap and mitigate as much human suffering as possible with the life that I lead. Okay. So I don't think we have to be as agnostic about it. I, I, I think logically if, if we want, and we should ask the question, if God is all good, all knowing, all powerful, why do do kids get get, Exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's a really, really good question. Um, the, the follow-up question that I think the Bible assumes is if, so conversely, if there is no God, then why would there be any good? Sure. Or what would be the measuring stick uh-huh, for uh-huh. anything that's good or true or beautiful? Now, is that a perfect answer? Of course not. Right. I think we don't have a perfect answer. However, it seems to me that that's a sufficient enough inquiry or awe or intuition to wonder why should we love? Why should we give of ourselves for the benefit of another? Uh-huh. Um, if nothingness is all that is out there, I don't. I, I'm not sure there's a good answer for that. Sure. Um, so that's that's kind of a, a short checkmate, atheists. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I think that that that's a compelling talking point, yeah. though. Yeah. Very good. Uh, our fifth pillar. Okay, end times hype. Uh, this is one that you and I have gone yeah. back and forth on off camera uh, a lot. Uh, I don't get it. I don't get the end times hype stuff. I'm not like a premillennial dispensationalist myself, right. which is like puts me in a weird position with like 80% of evangelicals in America. Yeah. Uh, but in good step with the rest of the world. What's up, <laughs> England? Uh, and so uh, so this one is a little bit it's more. It's a turnoff. Yeah, this one's a little bit more beyond the, the pale. The obsession to me. about Armageddon and is communist China going to be like Correct. revelation? Correct. And should we be like arming nuclear, like well, nuclear? Because what warfare? happens here is we just get so heavenly minded, we become no earthly. Exactly. Good, right. Exactly. Uh, so we can, you know, this one to me is not worth like spending it really a isn't. bunch of so time on. So let me on. say this. These kind of perspectives are unique to American Christianity. Yeah. The rest of the world is not weird like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so 
Good, good. All right. So the sixth and final one where we should spend the, the rest of our time here is the church, right? Mm-hmm. And so this one's a little bit broad. He writes, uh, he goes, I know people who read Frank Viola's book, you know, Pagan Christianity a few years ago and just ended up quitting their pastoral jobs and eventually left the faith huh. altogether. And he goes, and he says, why? And basically his answer is because that book and others like it showed them a church as we know it, which was inspired by this pagan worship practice and modeled after a system of hierarchy and control and doesn't look anything like what Jesus and the early Christians looked like for the first 300 years of Christianity's inception. And this is really where I want to make my staking point here. American evangelicalism, in my opinion, has gotten into bed with political power in a way that is detrimental beyond anything else that I've seen in a long time Hmm. there and uh, in my personal existence of only 30 years. Yeah. And so I think this is quite problematic. And so if we want to have any type of impact on the generations that are coming after us, we have to get back to decoupling this idea. Yes. And in my opinion, we have to pray that post-Christianity actually hurries up so that we can go back to being attractive as a different style of living. A subculture. When people find out how unfulfilling the world is. Right. There. And it, Christianity needs to stop being convenient. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So I agree with this 100%. And I also think, yeah, I get it. I get why people would see the atrocities of the Christian church or see the... Hip- sub- hypocrisy. Right. Yes. Uh, particularly, we might say, in, in American uh-huh. context and say, like, what? I don't want to be part of that group. Because right. how, how do you say Jesus on the one hand and then uh, land on issues that hurt other people yep. on the other hand? Like, yep. how do you choose who's my neighbor? Mm-hmm. Right. So I get I get. All yeah. That. And, and if you're watching this, hear me. This is not me just dunking on or Hansel just dunking on like conservative evangelicals. No, right? like, no, no, no. I think this is a big problem with like wokeism Christianity as well. I think For it's sure. just as detrimental. It's, it's choosing an ideology that is foreign to scripture as well. It is the idolatry of identity. Exactly. Right. And I think that's a huge, that's a Timothy Keller quote, uh, super great author. Um, that, and I think it's, hugely problematic yeah. and so this to me is the make or break okay. of the church going forward now that's that's great now so on the one hand i want to say yes i i affirm 100 percent the disappointment mm-hmm. and the challenging of saying like man but if this is this is it this is the new society that right. god is making right like it's why would bankrupt. i want to be a part of that right on the other hand, it is not sufficient to discredit the truth and validity of Correct. something based on its social outcomes. Yep. Meaning, um, if the church is the concept of the church, meaning God created a new society, if that's invalid, then it must be invalid on the merits that it's not coherent, logical, or true, right. not that it's failed in society. Correct. Right? Correct. So I would encourage more conversation about that. And, and historical Christianity has shown this. And the church thrives when it's not in power. Yes. And that's the big point I want to make. A lot of these conversations that we see around deconstructionism tend to be, in my personal opinion, a lack of historical exposure to the breadth of the Christian tapestry. Yeah. And my encouragement for any individual who is working through any type of deconstructionism yes. is to keep digging. Yes, keep going. Keep Ask questions. reading and keep pushing. Ask questions. Please do not let doubt be the stopping point of yes. your journey to move you into a position of laziness. And this is the part that I can't stand because deconstructionism in popular parlance has often been used as like an umbrella cover for just being like, meh. I don't want to think about it. I just grew out of it and I'm over it, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, Okay, if you just want to be over it and done, that's fine, but just call yourself a done. Don't call yourself like, oh, I'm deconstructing. It's like, no, you're just being lazy or you made a decision, right? Like, if you're going to be in it, 
be in it there and push through. Right. There. And so I just get a little so bit either way, that. own your faith. Yes. There, or your own or your lack movement. of faith. Yeah, yeah. Or your movement on from it. And so, uh, so our hope or our encouragement mm. to you, if you're going through this type of period, is keep asking questions. Good. Keep digging. Don't stop. And if anybody tells you that your questions are unwelcome, tell them that the that culture experts of Hansel and Josh said they're crazy and they should continue <laughs> to question. Uh, and so what do you guys think? Did we miss anything? Do you have any questions for us in the comments about stuff that you'd like to see talked about? Uh, be sure to check out our app. We're at Juice TV uh, in the app store. We would love to connect with you there as well. Thank you guys so much for watching and we'll see you next time.